Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness, great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? Hello, this is Gretchen Gagel with Greatness, and I am joined today by one of my favorite authors, Gabriel Dolan. Welcome, Gabriel. Thank you, Gretchen. You know, we're here on this podcast to talk about greatness, great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. And I have to say that since moving to Australia, I have become one of your biggest fans. Um, Your work around um, authentic leadership and uh, the extensive research that you've done and the writing that you've done. I just can't say enough about your work, but we're here today to talk about your new book, which is really exciting, hot off the press. It is very hot off the press. Yes. Yes, definitely. Real communication, how to be you and lead true. And um, in reading this book, I have to say it is all about greatness. So tell us about this book and how it falls in relation to the other books that you've written. Um, yeah, good question. So I guess my previous books have always been very much around storytelling and sort of, I guess, stepping into how the very good leaders, the great leaders use storytelling to communicate better. Um, this latest book came around mainly because I could see the need that real communication was needed more than ever. We're seeing a massive decline in in trust. So leaders are working with quite cynical employees, the advent of fake news and alternative facts and all those things. People don't know what to trust and whom to trust. And, you know, we just got to look at the Australian environment and the, the recent Royal Commissions. And I sort of think because of this lack of trust, because there's a growing increase in the amount of acronyms and jargon we're using due to technology, and also because of the evolving expectations of employees, which, you know, which which is being driven by the younger generations, um, leaders need to respond. And I, and I think what people are looking for is um, authentic leadership and real communication. So this book is a little bit about why, why we need it, why we need it now more than ever, and how as a, lead, as a leader, what does that practically mean? So how, how can you practice real communication and how can you step into your authentic leadership? So it's, um, it's full of lots of great tips and stories and examples and case studies of, of people being real with their communication and authentic leadership and um, and people not being real with their um, communication and authentic leadership. Yeah. And I love how you start this book off in the first part, the why you need to get real now. And you talk about that, the the trust. Let's dig into that just a little bit, because I think start with the start with why, like why do we need to get real with our communication? So elaborate a little bit more about this whole trust thing and the need to build more trust. Yeah, it's, I mean, relationships are built on trust. So um, whether that's personal, professional, we, you know, we spend time with people we trust, we work with people we trust. So when you, you know, when you talk about business, trust is really important. And and when you lose trust, and again, in a personal and professional sense, when you lose trust, it, it's very hard to get back. Um, and sometimes it's impossible to get back. You know, we, we experience that in our personal relationships but we also experience it with businesses. And I've just seen, it's literally probably over the last two years, um, the decline in trust. So um, 
Edelman write a global report and their 2018 report, which is, I feature in the book, has, has shown that we're suffering the biggest decline in trust they've ever experienced since doing the research. Um, the 2019 report has just come out, but it, it's still it's still showing that, that we're in a battle for the truth. So mm. people don't know who to trust and what to trust. And, and, you know, like I said before, in Australia especially, we're seeing the effects of the Royal Commission it's having on the... Um, you know, the finance industry. Deloitte, actually, I feature in the book a report from Deloitte that asked um, Australian consumers about their banking. And the, the, the stats on that are just amazing with 47%. So almost half of their people said that they do not trust their own financial service providers, which is like just astounding. One of the facts in that report, which just shows you how far we've lost trust, is that 30% of the people they surveyed said that they would consider moving their financial, you know, banking and loans to the likes of Qantas and Virgin Airlines. So like we're thinking of moving our banking to an airline carrier. So that is where trust can be really um, expensive for companies. You know, and again, in the finance industry, there wasn't a lot of competitors, but now there's a huge amount of competitors. So once we've lost trust and once companies have options to go somewhere else, then trust is it's critical to keep, but it's, it's also like absolutely critical to try and retain once you've lost it. And I think you bring up an excellent point we've actually been talking about in the course that I teach at University of Denver on leadership and ethics, because the ethics of an organization is comprised of the ethics of the leaders within that organization. That's been shown over and over again. And so if you want to have a great culture, a great organization that people trust, that society trusts, you have to have the leaders that are trusted within that organization. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we, you, and then we talk about it's better be, it's got to be congruent with you know, with the values of the company. So, so, so many companies have these great values, but if their leaders aren't living them and breathing them and role modeling them, um, then there's a real disconnect and, and, you, and you lose good people because of that and you lose customers because of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that, that you also talk in this part about acronyms and jargon. Yes. So as a, recent, as a recent transplant from the United States to Australia, I've had to learn a whole new set of business jargon and acronyms to the point where I, I almost can't fit them in my brain anymore. So it's made me very cognizant of this. And why, why, why is it important to be cognizant about jargon and acronyms? Yeah, and it's probably because of the experience you've just said. And whether it's moving countries or moving jobs or moving industries, we come into a, a situation where everyone's using jargon and everyone's using acronyms and they may know what it means. But for new people, they don't know what it means. And that can actually be really you know, um, isolating for new people and they, they actually disconnect. So at a, at a bare minimum, people can feel on the outer because of these use of acronyms. But also it just it just adds to the miscommunication. And I, I talk about sometimes we use jargon. A lot of the times we use jargon is for avoidance. So we, we don't want to, we use jargon not to tell the truth. So we see this, I mean, politicians, I mean, you know, we're right in the middle of, uh, you know, an election and politicians are, world-class experts at using jargon to actually avoid answering a question. But we see it in, in in CEOs and companies when they're announcing things like job losses and they'll use words like downsizing or right-sizing. And one example I mentioned in the book was through uh, 
one company who it was going to be 14,000 job losses and they referred to it as a reallocation of staff when it was just going to be pure job losses. So mm. at, at a bare minimum, people don't trust jargon. They, they know that you're trying to hide something, but then it also actually it disconnects and engages people. And with acronyms, acronyms especially can really lead to miscommunication because every acronym has multiple meanings. So, you know, you, you say, if I say SME to you, you might think subject matter expert or you might think small to medium enterprise. And, you know, the other example I use, if you say STIs, STIs to me always meant short-term incentives, but you, you say that to anyone under 30 now and they giggle because it's, you know, sexual transmitted infections. And, um, and I know even in America, they call them sexually transmitted diseases, don't they? But then STDs and STDs in Australia is an, is an international phone call. So it's like the acronyms just are really, really confusing, really confusing. Yeah. And we are becoming a global world, world, so we need to be cognizant that some of these things don't translate exactly um, from place to place as I spend, you know, every day talking to people on different continents. So getting into part two, you talk about how to get real engagement. I love your first point about communicating concisely um, and the examples of of great speeches. Talk about that, like how we get real engagement with through concise communication. Yeah, I think think the mistake a lot of leaders make when they're trying to communicate is – they feel like they have to communicate everything. And the reality is people can't take in everything. So I, when I work with leaders, it's just saying, what is your one really key message? And, and to be really clear on that and, and focus on that and not, not try to cram everything in. You know, we have this default where meetings always have to go for an hour. So, you know, we feel like we have to talk for an hour where, you know, my suggestion is what if you just spoke for 15 minutes and then we open it up to conversation, you know, the last 45 minutes. Um, and, yeah, I, saw, I cite a few examples of some of the great speeches in the world, um, you know, have been you know, not very long at all, like a few minutes. And, you know, there's a reason why they keep TED Talks to 18 minutes. So if you if you think of how you can get your message across in the shortest amount of time possible, um, it sort of forces you to be really concise and be really clear on what your message actually is. I, I just literally an hour ago um, in teaching online in the US in an MBA program, where they were doing some videos on different topics, had this exact conversation because it was just like information Mm -hmm. overload and it was a good video and they had a lot of good synthesized, you know, Bloom's taxonomy, higher critical, higher levels of critical thinking, but you just couldn't absorb it all. Um, And so you almost absorb nothing. Yeah, exactly. And I I sort of say, um, again, you probably need to be, know what your three main messages are. Um, And too many people go, but I've got 10 very important messages. And when you try to get 10 across, it's like you said, people end up remembering none of it because it's too overwhelming and too confusing. Mm -hmm. So another really important point that we were also talking about in this class is visual information. I am a visual person. Like I, once you're talking to me about something, I'm drawing it, I'm writing it. And, and talk to us a little bit about that as far as creating authentic leadership through visual information as well. Yeah, look, and I get, you know, people always talk about, oh, some people are visual and, you know, um, kinesthetic and, you know, audio and all that type of stuff. But 
I think visual does help people understand something. So even, you know, I, I talk a lot about sharing stories because, you know, it's like a picture paints a thousand words. If you can share a story that actually creates a visual for someone in their mind. So, but just even, you know, um, you know, again, something like PowerPoint is still a common um, software that people use to communicate. And, and I'm amazed that PowerPoint has been out for over 30 years and most people are still using it incorrectly with just text heavy slides with way too much, you know, way too many bullet points on it. Um, when what they could probably have is a photo, a picture up there and maybe one or two words that would actually get their message across better because it's helping. I mean, they can still talk to it. They would still talk to it, obviously. So people are hearing the message but just having the visual to help them grasp it. So there's lots of ways you can get visual with your communication, whether it's telling stories, whether it's using a picture instead of 100 words on your PowerPoint slide or whether it's bringing in a prop, for example. I'm a big fan of props, how you can use that to create a visual in someone's mind. So I, I think it's important to to use visuals when you're trying to communicate. When you say that, I think of our friend Kristen Hansen, author of Traction, how she carries a brain yeah. around with her everywhere she goes. She actually for- forgot her brain the other day and had to have it Ubered <laughs> to her speech. <laughs> so, um, And so you also talk about in this part of the book, the personal stories, and that's that's I have spent so much time thinking about that since first meeting you and, and reading your last book and in this book, just about how to tell really authentic stories and, and the value of that in building authentic leadership, I, I think is immeasurable. Yeah, I, I think sharing personal stories is one of the, the key ways you can really build um, relationships with your with your team, um, with your with your customers, and really show demonstrate authentic leadership. A, a lot of people, when um, they first venture into storytelling, because I mean storytelling is becoming quite popular now. Everyone's sort of going, "Oh, we need to tell our story better. Our leaders need to be better at stories." But they first initially start by sharing stories, but not personal stories as such. So they might share stories about a work situation, but it can end up being a more of a case study than a personal story or they might share stories about people they admire so they'll share stories about Nelson Mandela or Steve Jobs or you know the New Zealand All Blacks for example but they can sometimes help you get your message across what what they lack is a personal connection so if you're just sharing a story about Nelson Mandela I don't get to know anything about you except that you admire and respect Nelson Mandela which you know doesn't 99% of the people do so it's but it's when you have the courage to share a personal story about you know about about you you know something that happened to you on the weekend or about you know a lesson you learned when you were growing up or um you know getting told off by your your mother when you were eight or something like that 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 reveals something about you um and that's when it can it can not only fast track relationships and and trust and respect but it can really deepen relationships which again makes it a really really powerful um, communication skill and leadership leadership competency. Mm. And I, I guess that probably ties into the whole premise of psychological safety and vulnerability, which I I use the Google Aristotle project um, their research on teams quite a bit and being able to create psychological safety, telling these stories, I would assume helps build that culture of psychological safety. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you know, leaders being more vulnerable and, you know, being more human and approachable. Again, everyone's talking about that. So when you share a story that shows vulnerability, that when you you haven't quite got it right um, or a lesson you've learned, it, it actually creates that nice, safe culture where, it, where it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to not have all the answers. And you can you know, you can say that. There's one thing to say that, but if you get that message across by sharing stories about when you haven't had all the answers or you have made mistakes, that that will build that culture faster than anything else. And we all do make mistakes. And, you know, I think I think about this and I think I've shared with you um, in our times together when I do speeches about my book, The Eight Steps to Being a Great Working Mom, I have a slide of my mom holding me as a baby and she passed away six years ago and I cry. Literally, I'm almost in tears now. Every time I put this slide up and at first I was like, you know, maybe I should take this slide out. But it creates such a connection right off the bat with whatever group I'm talking to and you can see them connecting. I mean, just connecting in an emotional way that it's okay to have emotions too. It's okay to be sad that my mom has passed away and that we're, you know, we're, we're human and we're all dealing with all these things. I think the complexity of the world too, all the stresses that we're dealing with and being able to be real and talking about those is, is really helpful to people. Yeah. And I I think we've come a long way from, you know, when, you know, probably you and I, when we were growing up, you know, we were told, you know, it's business isn't personal, you know, don't keep your personal life separate. Um, It's not emotional. Don't, don't be so emotional and all this. And I think there's, to me, that's just such old school leadership and there's a growing recognition that the the business is personal because we're all humans in business mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and it's okay to show emotion in, you know, if you want people to be passionate about stuff and you want them to be themselves, that it's, it's okay to show emotion. And, and as, and as you've highlighted with your story, it was like, you know, sharing a story and putting a picture up there of your mum. Of, of course you're going to get emotional every time you tell that story. And as you should, what that does, it, it, it creates it creates a real connection with your audience and the people you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it just creates such deep conversation. Um, one speech in particular with a group of about 35 women leaders in the, in the energy space. And, and I, I can so vividly remember this meeting because we had real conversations about things like moving conversations when we cr- created that psychologically safe, you know, trusting environment. So, um, so part three, you talk about how we practice authentic leadership. And I, and I love this first one, which is like use real words and having just come out of my PhD process, uh, what, eight months ago or something. It's so interesting because I feel like I live in two different worlds. Sometimes the worlds of real words and the worlds of not real words. So talk to us about that. What does real words mean? Yeah. So real words, it's, it's, it's probably things we've, you know, we've touched on. It's, it's not using jargon. So, so a couple of things, it's not using jargon that, you know, like, people will go move the needle and I was like you know what what does that even mean and people are saying it all the time and you know we're saying things like pivot you know like seriously when did everyone start pivoting I, I never heard pivot two years ago but now it's like everyone's pivoting in fact a client of mine they've just announced their new strategy and it's p- pivot for growth and you think oh my god which mm. 
you you know, then why can't we just say change or um, you know, and we and you know, pivot for growth is going to be reduced to an acronym like PFG, and so then all of a sudden we'll be talking about PFG, and then no one will knows what that means. So part of it is is you use real words instead of jargon. Um, the other thing is the unnecessary use of acronyms. So we have this thing that we have to reduce everything to an acronym. And my point is, why don't you, it, we don't have to. And you, like, just say the whole word if you need to. The other thing, I guess, is we use safe words in business. So, you know, some of the examples I talk about often in my training is we'll say things like, I was anxious. And then when I talk to people, I go, what, were you just anxious? And they go, oh, if you to tell you the truth, I was really, really scared. I was so scared I thought I was going to be sick. It was like, well, why don't we say that? Why don't we say I was really, really scared as opposed to I was anxious? Because, because first of all, I can, I can, I can visualise scared and I connect with scared where I don't necessarily, you know, connect with anxious. So it's just, it's just using real words because people connect with those real words to share a little story that just happened to me this morning and this is you know there's not a um I I turned 50 a couple of years ago so in Australia as you know and now this is not a pleasant subject I'm about to talk about but yeah you you have to do a bowel a bowel test every two years and I just got mine in the mail today and I'm looking at the instructions and I had to have a laugh because it said you need to collect two tiny samples from two separate bowel motions and in brackets, it just said poos. <laughs> it was just like one of each poo. And you're going, good on you. And then in another instruction, it says, before collecting your sample, empty your bladder. And then in brackets, it said, do a wee. And, it, and I'm thinking, this is what, this is. So now people are going, empty your bladder. I was like, oh, you, you mean do a wee. Great. Okay. I get do a wee. And it was like, you know, oh, a bowel motion. All right. You need to make, make, go and do a poo. All right. I get that. So. <laughs> Too often in business we, we talk like that, like bowel motions and empty bladder, when we could just be going, you know, do a wee and then do a poo. It's like, my God. Oh, I love it. That's such a great, relevant example. Um, oh, gosh, I love that. One of your later points in this section of the book is about knowing what's real for others. And I just, I mean, I think that's one of the highlights of this book for me is not not just what's real for me, but what's real for others. Talk to us about that. Yeah, it's um. There's a couple of things in that, and it's it's really it's really about. And it's funny. This is the last chapter, and I've had a lot of people say that this is their favorite chapter. Which you know, maybe I'm leaving the best to last. But it really is getting to know what your people really want. And so, you know, when you, when we talk about, you know, greatness and great leaders, it's actually really listening to know what they want and to know what's important for them, not just what's important for the company um, and trying to balance the two. So, you know, I, I think some of the very great leaders, I mean, yes, you can talk about professional development for your people, but, you know, what are their life goals and how can you, how can you help them achieve that? Um, so it's just it's just really knowing what's important for your people at that time, and you can't you've just got to you've got to do that by really listening and being present and not thinking you have to be the smartest person in the room and have all the answers. So I, I think great leaders do that. I think great leaders know know what's important to them and know what's real to them, but they also spend a lot of time knowing what's important and what's real for the people that they that they lead and that they serve. I think that's uh, it's just. 
it's something that I'm working on, um, being mindful uh, and listening and being present. Mm. One of my uh, great mentors who I've known for, gosh, 25 years now, I guess, he always acts like you're the only person on the face of the earth when you're speaking to him. And he's been you know, chairman of a large company and, and so many different things. But I always feel like I am the only person and what I'm saying is the most important thing in the world when I'm speaking yeah. with him. So he's obviously just been like completely present, completely present with you and, you know, and, and making, making you feel exactly that, which is a beautiful, you know, a beautiful feeling to give someone. Well, I love that part of the book. I love lots of different parts of the book. I would encourage everybody out there to go get uh, Gabriel Dolan's new book. And it, again, is called Real Communication, How to Be You and Lead True. Gabriel, I know that you're in the middle of a book launch and you are so busy. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, It's my pleasure, as always, to have a chat to you, Gretchen. Thank you. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.